0: It seems like everyone these days is making films. But do we think about, particularly in the documentary world, how we're going to make money on those films so that we can keep making them and create a good living for ourselves? My next guest on OWC Radio is Rachel Gordon. She wrote a globally focused how-to book about documentary distribution where she interviewed over 150 producers and industry representatives from all around the world. They provided strategy and best practices for producers to help them get their content out. Stand by. We'll be with you shortly.
1: It's time for OWC
0: Radio. Tech Talk
1: with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. There
0: we are. We're recording. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. okay. I have with me today, Rachel Gordon, who is an author and a filmmaker and somebody that I met through this wonderful group called the D word, which is for independent filmmakers. And Rachel has written this wonderful book about distribution. And I actually bought the book and Rachel, I'm reading it right now. It's really wonderful. So I have lots of questions for you today. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for asking. Tell us about your book. What's it called? And what's it about? And why did you write it? The book is called The
1: Documentary Distribution Toolkit, How to Get Out, Get Seen, and Get an Audience. It was published by Focal Press, which is an academic publisher. It's intended for classroom use. i submitted it to a publisher because an academic librarian that I used to program documentaries with when I was an impact producer 15 years ago said, Rachel, no one's talking about this distribution stuff. You should really write something about it. And I sent in a sample of writing to the publisher. They asked me if I would make it global instead of just North America. And if I would like to make a book as opposed to an article. And I thought, fantastic. Uh, I spent a year interviewing people, uh, direct people. I think the thing about the book that's most important is it's from people's direct experience. It's not just me talking at people. I interviewed producers and industry representatives from all over the world to collect the advice that's most useful for people to actually do stuff. Or even if they go with a distributor, they at least know what to expect, what to ask, uh, what to think about. um, Right. Because you're going to probably end up doing both.
0: Yeah. And and the reality is, it's a changing landscape, too. It changes all the time, doesn't it?
1: One of the chapters in the book is chapter three. And it's about documentary organizations and events to be aware of. And it's global. And the D word, for instance, where we met is included in there. But so are things like women in film, which has 60 Mm -hmm. chapters all over the world, which I'm in two of the chapters now, but I've been in three other ones based on where I lived. So the documentary ecosystem itself has been there for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Events like festivals that are very important, forums, pitching forums, things like that, those organizations have been around a long time. And public television as an ecosystem has been around a very long time. What changes is how much you have to do for yourself versus just handing it off to someone else. Mm-hmm. I, I went to film school 20 years ago, and this stuff wasn't taught in film school, and it's still sort of not. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. It, it's important to teach people as young as possible. If this is what they're interested in, they need to know what the professional environment that they are going to try to enter into looks like.
0: Absolutely. It's more than just the gear. Everybody's yeah. always excited about, well, what camera should I get and what should I use to record sound and How do I do this? And on the set, that kind of thing and workflow. But for me, all of that effort that you put in, if you can't do something with it on the back end, then you're really going to be in trouble. Now, maybe it's a demo reel so that you can try to get a job, but wouldn't it be nice to make some money for all that effort and be able to pay people for the next one?
1: (laughs) And part of the difficulty with that is that most people only think about sort of when they're making their budgets and when they're planning, they're usually only thinking about production and you kind of actually have to think about the long-term goals of what you Mm -hmm. want to do sometimes Mm -hmm. before you start shooting or at least during production, because if you apply for funding with a grant agency or with, or with a public television network, any place you apply They want to see that you can actually finish it, that you've prepared yourself for what finishing it looks like. Mm -hmm. So you kind of need to know who you're trying Mm -hmm. to target before you put it
0: all together. Absolutely. So let's talk about planning. Yeah. If somebody comes up to you and they say, okay, I've got this great project and we're going to get ready and we're going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. What do you advise them to do in terms of planning for the future? That's a very broad question. It's a very broad and question, and we can't cover everything <laughs> no, today. We can't. So I know well, I'm going to end up telling people to get your book, but let's just talk no, 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 about I some understand. tips you can give us for planning.
1: Absolutely. The first thing is know who it is you're actually targeting, and I know mm-hmm. that's a hard, and I think, and I, I get a lot of pushback about that. Like, well, how do I know? How do I know who are you making it for? So mm-hmm. it's either. Based on one of the subjects in your film that you want that you're making it with their community in mind, or Mm -hmm. it's because you want to impact another community that works with the -hmm. people who are in the film. The book highlights several different markets. So, you when I say you have to think about who you're trying to target first, you're not going to target everybody, you're not targeting the world. There's no film fiction or nonfiction, that's for everybody. It just doesn't exist. And if you say that, it makes you kind of look unprofessional. So you have to be careful and you kind of have to, you can say something broad Um, people who have families or people who are caregivers, whether they're family or not. You can say kind of broad groups, but you can't just say it's for everybody. Right. So- You think about the audience first that you want to target. So for instance, uh, my husband's always saying, you really need to make sure you're clear and specific. So I'll give you a specific. (laughs) No, he's great. He's like, don't talk in broad ideas. He's great. (laughs) The very first filmmaker that I ever um, did what's now called impact producing. But so back in the early 2000s, I first started working in distribution. Let me step back. So I was a filmmaker, as you said, but I watched all my films go nowhere. And at the time I was living in New York and I wrote every distributor in New York and I asked to work in distribution because to me, it seemed pointless to make all these films and pay all this money and exhaust myself if they weren't going to go anywhere. And I ended up working and I ended up working for the National Film Board of Canada when they still had a New York office. Uh, They don't anymore. They're still around. They're in Canada here, but they're, they're, they're not in the US. And I learned about all sorts of distribution, educational distribution, museums, nonprofits, all sorts of stuff. And when they closed that office, I started doing that marketing work for independent filmmakers across the United States. Mm -hmm. The first filmmaker I did that for was a woman by the name of Alice Elliott, who is still a filmmaker. She teaches at NYU and she made several films uh, that were about people with disabilities who were self-advocates, who for instance, go and lobby Congress for disability rights. They were amazing people. We took her films and we went after organizations that worked with people with disabilities. We went after social work schools because social workers tend to work with people with disabilities. So it's, you take whoever the subject is, and then you think about the the mechanics of who works with them or Mm -hmm. lives with them or what helps that person function. And that's who, how you kind of create your target audiences and you build, you start one at a time. You don't try to do four audience groups, do one at a time and you build.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is planning is 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 important yes <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and that also ties into the goal so for where you want to go with it then you can formulate clearer goals too
1: and I know there's a lot of sort of conventional wisdom of oh you have to go to this film festival or that film festival or what have you that's not necessarily true it's really based on what journey you want for your film mm-hmm. and not every film is going to be at every major film festival not every film is going to be an Oscar contender which is
0: its own majorly complicated thing. Yeah, that's so, a whole different field to run in. So I guess yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you was yeah. to fest or not to fest? Does it just depend on your content or Well, it what's depends your on your opinion goal. on it. It depends yeah. on
1: your goal. The thing is is that I know people, I've seen multiple multiple things. So one of the things is that if you're making your film just for a festival, I would say don't do that because you're going to be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think people should make films just for festivals. I, I, that's my personal opinion. Someone could have a completely different experience and it, might, it might've worked out great for them. Personally, I think filmmakers are hurting themselves if they're only targeting festivals. It depends on, Do you are you looking for social action work with it? Are you looking for, festivals are good for publicity, but mm-hmm. festivals are also, depending on the festival you're talking about, you have to make sure, you have to look and see, are they connected to the Are publications, the publications you want, are they there? Could you Mm -hmm. submit it to them Mm -hmm. otherwise? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. that's possible. But festivals are mostly sort of for kind of like publicity and therefore, and they're good because they have a certain brand that gives a film credence, but it's not the only way to get that in, in my experience. And I, it just a lot of the name brand, there was someone that I I, uh, I quoted him in, in my book. There's this guy, his name is Sean Farnell. He does a lot of, he does festival sort of consulting for one of the organizations up here in Canada, uh, for the documentary organization of Canada. And the top tier ones take like 2% of submissions. And a lot of those organizations kind of know what the other one's doing and they talk and you'll see 10 or 15 festivals that make it around the same top tier festivals. So you can't only be targeting that. That would be my opinion, which I may get into trouble for someday.
0: No, we're allowed to have opinions. I, mean, I value your opinion. That's why I'm talking to you. So when you think about that, what do you think they should be working on in terms of deliverables? Like my advice to them would be make sure you have really good photos of the production. And we actually had a photographer on the set um, to cover that behind the scenes videos, uh, mm-hmm. a press kit, right? Can you think of anything else that maybe you would tell them that they should prepare?
1: That would be a question based on who the end users are going to be. So right. if it's another public television station, you can get a deliverable list from a public television station. Right. If it's if it's a streaming service, you can get a deliverable set from there. Like the the each each place has its own unique deliverable list. Right. I do think things like I think things like closed captioning are just Period something everybody wants no matter Absolutely. where you go. So you should do that. Um, right. make sure they have all their release forms. Right. And right. You know,
0: <laughs> location <laughs> releases, personal releases, yeah. company all releases. All your
1: paperwork. All your paperwork.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. so your uh, your your photography your behind the scenes videos all of your releases and your legal stuff lined up i'm curious about mm-hmm. something and this always comes up when do you start pitching your film is it during production is it during post is it say you want to get this out you want to sell it and everybody goes i want to yeah. start pitching it w- what's your advice on that
1: so that depends on your project and it it also and I say that because if you're if it's a film that for instance deals with social action work then you kind of would you know do you want to get on a partner early if you're in a country which the U.S. doesn't really do this as much but sometimes if you're in a country that like Australia or the U.K. that has like pre-production and research funding sometimes you want to get another kind of organization on board so it depends on where you are you're in the U.S. so I Should really just stick with the U.S., sorry. But it kind of depends on who you're eventually going to be partnering with, uh, what they need. I think most pitch sessions that I have talked to for sort of advice uh, for the book and stuff, they mostly did things based on like rough cuts, uh, final cuts. There wasn't really any sort of like beginning pitch. There wasn't any pitching before you had anything. If you're going to do that, I think that's more for like when you're looking for beginning partners to work with, then that might be something you do so that you can mm-hmm. do something better together and then sort of pitch to a broader field. Do you have any advice about how to do a great pitch? The- Biggest advice I got from most people who go to pitch events and get partners on board is that you should know if you can find out who's there in advance and what Mm -hmm. they actually program. And if they program Mm -hmm. your your type of content, then you use sort of you is you need to pitch in a way that the other person knows that what they do. The biggest complaint I got from industry people was that people would just assume that everything that they take all documentary. And it's it's not true. So they're like, they would say, well, one look at our website would show what we take and what we don't. And if you're going to come in here and pitch me something I wouldn't take, then it's hard for me to listen to you. Right. So I would say no, whether or not the people who are there program that content or not, if they do have a meeting. And if they don't, you can say, I, you can even say, if you want to build a relationship, but they're not the right one right now, you can say, this isn't your kind of content, but this is what I'm doing. And maybe we can talk in the future when I'm doing something else. Like you can still create rapport, even if it's not the exact right project.
0: And there's nothing wrong with asking them who they might recommend for you to talk to, right? Yeah. That's really good advice, Rachel. I think that's, that's very important. So I would say to them then, do some research watch some of the shows that are on that are being programmed currently and try to find out what they're looking for. If festivals aside, if you want to find a distributor, if you want to go the more classic route, find a distributor, Mm -hmm. how do you find a good distributor and how do you test them to, Mm because I've, I've actually seen some, some nightmare outcomes with distributors. There's a lot of people out there Mm -hmm. and I hate to bring it up, but we have to be honest about this. There are a lot of companies who all they do is they send their reps out. I'm already getting emails from some of these companies about a couple of films we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we would love to to rep your film. And I've seen um, examples of filmmakers who go, oh my goodness, I'm really excited about that. And they'll say, okay, send us, send us this. It's going to cost you this. And then you get thrown into a pot with 200 other mm-hmm. films and you're sold as as a bulk sale. How do you how do you figure out who's really good and who isn't? Yes, it is a massive question. A couple things: uh,
1: distributors can be very useful because they have a brand that people know and people trust them just instantly because they've been around a long time and people know who they are and what kind of content they have. And a lot of filmmakers don't necessarily have the kind of have not been taught. I should say they have the ability, but haven't been taught the business skills of what to create licensing agreements and bill people and do all that sort of administrative stuff and distributors do it. But that said, you can always vet distributors. Vet them by going through their catalog, seeing who has films like yours and writing the filmmakers. I guarantee you filmmakers will respond to you. Mm -hmm. There's no way... And, and they may not want to do it publicly, right? You may have to have a phone call on the side or an email chain on the side. They may be worried. They don't mm-hmm. want to be you know, hurt and have pe- think people talk badly. Right. But at the same time, I found filmmakers very willing to share so that no one else went through what they went through. I, I, There's a lot of filmmakers I talked to that said the same thing you have, which is that I've heard so many horror stories. One of the things is, is that stuff does need to be shared more. It may or may not be in the public space, but look and see who has distributed your kind of film. And then from there you ask things and then you can ask the distributor things too. Ask them things like what markets do they target? What regions do they target? Where do they go? Um, Who do they talk to? You can ask them what kind of rights they focus on. I think one of the things that I've learned a lot about in the past few years that I didn't necessarily know so much 15 years ago is just how many different rights you can actually sort of sell to your content. Uh, Besides all the VOD stuff, uh, you can make different versions of your content. That was one Mm -hmm. of the things I learned a lot about in interviewing people. There was a uh, filmmaker I talked to in Australia and she said versioning was just the way that she made a ton of money because she made a 15 minute educational one that went to the US with a US distributor. She made a television one for Australia broadcast. So she made seven different versions of the same content and it was very effective and she had great campaigns and it's doing very well. So part of it is making different versions for what you want and the targets you want. And then part of it is also asking a lot of questions. I think people are scared to ask questions. Like they get a contract from a distributor and they're all excited because someone's interested, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't ask questions. And if at any point you're worried or it's not clear what they said, ask for clarification. If they can't answer you, then your communication isn't going the way it should. And those contracts last years. So it's
0: important to understand each other before you sign. Absolutely. So can you explain to people the difference between a sales agent and a distributor?
1: Yes, I got that question a lot. So I've been sure <laughs> to ask it. So a sales agent doesn't take any rights. What they do is they they might do a short contract with you for like three months or six months or maybe even a year where they ask for the right to sell your film in specific territories or to specific type of clients. And once they've made the sale, they they take a percentage and give you the rest, but they don't hold rights. The thing with the distributor is they hold rights. So, you can't sell your content to that. So, for instance, if you sign up for a US distributor that has included non theatrical or educational which is lumped into non-theatrical rights in the United States, but then a university asks you to screen your film or buy your film, you can't do that because you've already signed their rights. So you have to send that person to the distributor. Is that clear?
0: What kind of percentage, what's like a normal percentage for a sales agent to take?
1: The ones I asked, I asked for percentages and they're all very fluid about that so that they can (laughs) negotiate around. They kind of said between like 20 to 40% for sales agents to take. And then distributors would say that they would keep anywhere from like 30 to 60%. So it was really Mm -hmm. wide ranging and no one would be
0: very... Uh, Not very forthcoming about that. I think one of the things also to be aware of and just to monitor is when you're signing that contract with a distributor, and I don't know if you've run into this, but make sure that you give them a cap on marketing and PR expenses Absolutely. so that, that your net is protected because they'll just keep spending and spending absolutely. and spending.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they won't amort- necessarily amortize that out with other projects. So if they go to the Con Film Festival, for mm-hmm. example, they might and throw
1: a party Yeah, the expenses.
0: Absolutely. Right. Right.
1: A hundred percent. Absolutely. Another thing which I didn't think about it until I was writing and I was talking with a lawyer who told me to never mention their name. So I won't because they don't want to get in trouble. But they said one of the things filmmakers should ask for with distributors is something called an ask tell schedule, which mm-hmm. is basically saying that a distributor, so it helps basically it's, it's a price range for which uh, the filmmaker has input to say, if you get at least this much money for my film, you have to sell it. And the reason why that's actually important is there was one filmmaker I talked to who said that her distributor, which now no longer exists, but her distributor, when they were getting, the, their catalog was getting licensed by like Netflix, I think it was at the time, and they weren't, they didn't think they were getting enough money, so they said no. So she lost the opportunity for that license because her distributor said no. Wow. So it's important if you can do it. She, the the particular lawyer I'm thinking of said she had they had problems getting distributors to sign on to that, but she said it was worth asking. So,
0: and also on the, on the other end too, making sure there's a minimum amount. Um, yes, out. you can so, do both uh, to make sure you're not put into that egg basket with 200 other films, and you're only making 10 cents on the dollar at that point. Uh, it's a it's an interesting process finding a lawyer is important too, but a lot of young independent filmmakers don't have the money for that. What do you recommend? I mean, so how do going to get around that. I recommend dealing with
1: whatever sort of local, either documentary or other organization that mm-hmm. you can find. I'm part of women in film in DC and in Toronto. There are lawyers mm-hmm. in those groups. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, if you check with film societies, local film society, There are lawyers, there are entertainment lawyers everywhere. I will say that documentary is different from fiction. So you kind of want to deal with someone who's done documentary and not necessarily someone who's done fiction because they are different. But I would go to professional membership organizations.
0: So do you have like a list of maybe your top five or something of organizations that you think can help? So
1: I I know that's hard. That's like telling you to pick
0: from your children.
1: (laughs) Well, part of it is also just like, it depends on where you live too, right? Right. I, everywhere I've been, I will say I, I love women in film. I just do. Everywhere I've been, I've been a member of them. Every, I've lived up and down the East coast of both US and Canada, and they're just, they're a great group of people. You can usually write someone and they'll write you back no matter what their level or title is.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a very
1: supportive organization. The D word is awesome. The D word is amazing because they also are really international and they're everywhere. Right. People share so much unique experience right. and feedback, and they're so mm-hmm. blunt. They're just mm-hmm. the D word is awesome. They really are. The whole industry is about relationships. That's yes. what it is. It is yes. about relationships. It's whether you do it online or in person, it doesn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are really stuck on in person. I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book based on interviewing 150 people from all over the world. So from how did you computer. find
0: all those people? My gosh, you must be tenacious. I, I, look, I look at this and I go through this and I look at all these people. And I'm going, how did she find them? You know? So
1: part of it was I went to a few events okay. virtually, of course. So I did a uh, IDA, the International Documentary Association. I did their their online virtual conference i did world congress of producers and factual mm-hmm. science world congress of science and factual producers i've done hot docs. so there are some organizations that what i really tried for that when you brought up film festivals one of the things that i tried to realize is that or when i would say one thing that was an epiphany for me as i was going through this was the industry representatives when i asked them where they went to find films they name specific places. And those are the places that I targeted first. It wasn't festivals. I, I, my goal was to find where decision makers and filmmakers met and talked. It wasn't about trying to do the whole festival circuit because I wanted to give filmmakers tools of like, this is what you can do and how you do it. Filmmakers, most of them were people I knew or people I was forwarded to. A lot of those people were referrals. They were like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a great idea. You should talk to this person. This is a great idea. You should talk to this person. When I went to those other conferences, I looked to see which television networks were there, who to connect with. And most of them had no problems talking to me or forwarding me to the person I should be talking to
0: hmm That's awesome. The world is changing. Yes. Television, distribution, streaming, PBS route, everything is sort of changing. What advice do you have for filmmakers who've been around for a long time who are really good at what they do? Mm-hmm. What do you think the next step is for them to sort of refresh their distribution outlook and, and how would they get started with that? Let's think about positioning. Restarting, repositioning. Yeah, repositioning. So...
1: You might find it interesting to know that, for instance, the TV world hasn't actually changed that much. What might have changed is that it probably has a little bit less money and licensing fees than it used to. But the same people work there and their systems haven't, their system of acquisition or co-production hasn't really changed. So I would actually suggest if, if you're gaming for television, you go to some of your old colleagues who might still be there because they probably haven't left <laughs> unless they've retired, which does happen. But I'm just saying TV hasn't changed that much. The TV distributors changed that much. They're still the same people. So ask ask the industry people first that, or ask the organizations. I would always start with whoever the audience is, no matter what mm-hmm. you are, whether you're been in it forever or whether you are totally new is the audience are you asking for public television if so you go there first and ask them like how what are your processes have they changed right and if you are going for education um, education you can talk to anybody in education they're very easygoing people Just realize what the school year is, September to May, and that there's the holidays in the middle. And you just have to kind of know what field, what the field, kind of how it runs. But they're very approachable people. Everybody Mm -hmm. just has less money. I think people Mm -hmm. expect a big chunk of change up front. And that's, I think, the main thing that has changed. Not so much the delivery, but it's really about the amount of money. People can't make the money they used to on it. They can't. And I know a lot of people are frustrated because they used to make a lot of money, for instance, in education, But education doesn't even have as much money as they used to. So I think you have to understand that it's a long path. It takes years, no matter whether you're new or veteran. And you have to understand that it takes things a while to hit. But it's always good to just start with your audience and say, who am I targeting and
0: what is their process? Right. I I have this theory too. I don't want people to tell me what I can't do. I want them to tell me what I have to do to make it happen. So don't don't tell me. A lot of people will say, oh my gosh, it's really hard. You're not going to be able to do it. I just don't even listen to that. No, you can't. If I had listened to that, there, <laughs> I don't know, I probably would never have even moved to Los Angeles uh, or California. I'm in San Diego now. But I'm looking forward to the future. I think there are great things out there. And I think all of these new streaming services, everybody's worried because Netflix isn't really taking any direct pitches anymore.
1: Unless you're like a big name anyway. It was always through distributors. They never yeah. had individual
0: yeah. pitches. Through though. through lawyers or yeah. agents or um your distributors or your sales reps. So, I think that the the business of film and television really hasn't changed that much. I think you're right. But I do love you've got lots of lists in your book. It's called the Documentary Distribution Toolkit how to get out, get seen, and get an audience. Uh, Where do people go to get it? My website is rachelgordonmedia.com. I have a
1: direct link to the publishing page on my website. It is available on like Amazon and all those other
0: services. If Mm. you have the opportunity to have good information, Mm. you should go ahead and do it. You should really should just go ahead and do it. Mm. So this is awesome. Did I forget to ask you anything that you might want to talk about? Is there anything we didn't cover? I think... There's a I, there's a couple things
1: I think are are helpful. Okay. One thing to be aware of is just that it is quite possible and even likely that you'll probably end up doing some sort of hybrid. You will probably end up doing some of your own distribution, but you will probably also end up working with a partner at some point, some sort of distribution partner, and that's normal because you you're not going to be able to get everywhere and do everything. And there are sometimes where a partner in Australasia makes more sense than you doing it in the US. So that's fine. You can also look out for trying to do things on an... I know a lot of contracts are exclusive and that benefits the business who's asking for exclusive. Don't be shy about at least asking for like non-exclusive because a lot of TV does non-exclusive, especially if it's not the first run, they'll pick up content to run a second time and it'll be non-exclusive and you can sell more and license more. So you can make more money if you can sell or partner on a non-exclusive basis. And some distributors do that because they just want a bigger catalog. And that's fine because that's just another Mm -hmm. person marketing your content, right? So even if you're getting less money, it's just another person marketing your content
0: and less work for you. Yeah, It's an option. rachelgordonmedia.com this is where you go to find out more about Rachel. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Of course. I'm Serena Catania. She's Rachel Gordon. We've been talking about distribution and sales for your independent projects. Let's make great products, but let's also figure out how to make a living doing it. But Rachel, thank you so much again. Uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Have a wonderful day. And remember what I tell you guys every time, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. Take care and thanks for listening.